Ah, yes. Happy Saturday, everybody, here on MLB Morning Coffee. We are going to try and keep this as positive as we can. It is obviously not a great time. Appreciate everybody that tuned into our episode yesterday with Ryan Sullivan of the Nats GM. Gave us a great Washington Nationals preview. And like we said, we were recording that episode in real time as things were coming down about the cancellation of spring training and eventually the suspension of Major League Baseball season. And you've seen college athletics get postponed as well and spring season's outright canceled. And that's why I wanted to bring on today's guest. He is a college sports broadcaster for ESPN. He has worked in the past with Big Ten Network, and he has also been doing some spring training games for the Boston Red Sox. Now, you're probably wondering, well, how did I in the Ocean Avenue studios in the Excelsior of San Francisco pull off this guest? Well, he's my good longtime friend, a former Cape Cod Baseball League colleague, and oh my gosh, Mike, that seems like a long time ago. Mike Monaco, everybody. Mike, what's going on today, buddy? Hey, Greg. It's great to be on with you. Um, it's funny you say how long ago the Cape League feels. Um, to your point, yeah, I was just down at, at Red Sox spring training in Fort Myers, and they've got a new pro scout by the name of Kyrie Washington, who played in the Cape League when I was working in the Cape League. He played for the team, the Wareham Gateman, that I broadcast for, and Kyrie and I probably hadn't seen each other in, in, in since that time, and, and we were talking about it, and he's like, man, it's been like six years, and it's crazy to think that that, that was six years ago. You know, it's also amazing in the fact that I don't even think she remembers who I am. A former Cape League colleague of ours, Sammy O'Brien, currently works with me at Pac-12 Network, but I didn't have glasses back then. My voice is different, and I don't know. She's walked around the office. I don't think she knows who the heck I am. So, I mean, like, dude, it, it's amazing how the Cape League comes back together full circle, and it's just it, it's an amazing experience. And for anybody that is going out to the Cape League this summer, well, actually, come to think about it, Mike, like, what is the Cape Cod Baseball League going to be this summer? So I want to start with this. You have been broadcasting several Red Sox spring training games on Nesson, and you were down there when they imposed the ban to keep broadcasters and reporters out of the clubhouse. Now, can you clarify that, that it was not just media, it was also team broadcast personnel that were barred from the clubhouse? Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, certainly in my case, I, I wasn't going to head in there. I'm sure for, um, you know, some some former players or, or folks who have a lot more time with the organization, uh, you know, I, I bet there is some, um, you know, difference of, of how that gets handled, maybe case by case. Um, but yeah, so, you know, media members, writers, um, certainly myself, uh, you know, I, I wasn't trudging into the clubhouse and, and it's interesting just even in the last few days reflecting on how that started and how that has changed and how it was viewed at the time and how it would be viewed now. I mean, if, if that news came out today, you know, it would hardly register because everything else has changed since that point. But at the time, um, you know, I think there was, uh, a lot of opposition to it um, and, and definitely fear that it would lead to a, a ripple effect where access to clubhouses gets gets changed a whole lot more. But obviously that was was just one of the first, by comparison, very small dominoes to fall in this. And um, we've got a lot bigger things going on right now. What was your initial reaction when you saw that Major League Baseball was going to delay opening day? and subsequently minor league baseball, and subsequently 
the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. I mean, what was your initial reaction when you opened up Twitter and saw news story after news story about how basically at this point in the span of 48 hours, we went from every sport functioning at full capacity to the entire sports world just stopped. Yeah, as it went along, Greg, and and as I was sort of glued to to social media and Twitter in particular and watching the news unfold in real time and, you know, Thursday I just spent pretty much watching SportsCenter the entire day or at least had it on in the background and seeing what was the latest. But, I mean, especially Thursday morning toward toward midday, toward lunchtime, it, it felt like every minute it felt like there was a new – cancellation or suspension of some conference in the college ranks or something related to professional sports as well, whether it was tennis or eventually uh, turned out to be golf and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, so pretty, pretty crazy to see. But, um, you know, my initial reaction was kind of, I, I think, probably like the, the general public. Well, you know, you see what the Ivy League did canceling its conference tournament. And that was met with some opposition as well. Um, some players themselves were, were pretty outspoken about it. And so you, you think about how that was and then how it turns out that, well, they just really knew what they were doing a, a little bit sooner than everyone else did. Um, and things changed from there. So uh, I think once you saw the NCAA tournament take the step um, to not have fans present and, and we were getting ready to go on the air with the Red Sox game against the Rays, um, Wednesday afternoon, you know, for an evening game when, when that came out and you started to get the feel that, all right, that's, that's, you know, a, a pretty big domino here. And then by the end of the game, the news had broke about the NBA or was, a, was in the process of breaking pretty much while we were finishing up that game. And so to kind of get off the air and, and just try to, to understand all of it and get caught up on the news and the decisions that went into it and, and to learn about Rudy Gobert. I mean, j- just, you know, pretty, pretty jarring to, to experience that. And then to not lose sight of also kind of the, the, the health aspect of this and the, the global reach of it, um, away from sports. You know, I, I think there's certainly some sort of grieving that goes with the, the sports process of it. But I mean, this is a global health crisis and, we, we don't know some, some parts of it, and I'm certainly not an expert on it. I've tried to educate myself just as far as being a good citizen goes, but um, there's a, a lot of uncertainty out there. And so it's, it's, it's a mixture of, yeah, what's this, this new world with, with the sports standpoint? What's that going to look like? And then, you know, what's just the world going to look like without sports? So uh, definitely a lot to process. We're here with Mike Monaco of ESPN. He is a broadcaster, one of my absolute best friends in this industry. Mike, you were down at spring training with the Red Sox for a significant period of time over the last couple of weekends. And, you know, you're a guy that loves to meet everybody that you can and gain new information. You know, you're a pro's pro when it comes to preparation. And I know that this may not have been a topic of conversation initially, but in your final days down in Fort Myers, was there any conversation that something like what Major League Baseball just did was going to happen, or was it kind of one of those things that just, in my opinion, exponentially blew up after Rudy Gobert's announcement of testing positive uh, hit hit the uh, front pages of social media? 
I think some sort of combination of that, Greg. Um, you know, I think, again, earlier just in this past week, you know, folks are listening to this on Saturday or at another point here on the weekend. You know, if you go back to the beginning of this past week, let's say Monday, I don't know if there was much of an expectation of suspending the season. Um, but then, yeah, as things started to happen and the Ivy League and, and no fans at sporting events, specifically the NCAA tournament, like I said, and then obviously the Rudy Gobert situation, um, I, I think at that point it, it was pretty inevitable um, that that this would be the next step taken. And, you know, I think a lot of people have been, been quick to criticize in some cases – for, for just, you know, starting, let's say, a conference tournament um, game being played somewhere. Well, you know, what took so long? I, I, I kind of come at it from the view of, man, this is this is unprecedented. It truly is. And I know you've said that here in this last week. And so, you know, everyone's trying to, to figure this out as we go. Um, so it's it's been, you know... A situation where news is coming out at different times and decisions are made at different times. But I think, yeah, as you went along, um, there was an understanding that that this was definitely going to happen um, in Major League Baseball and in Minor League Baseball as well. It's interesting on the college side of things to see how the timeline of a lot of this unfolded. Like at Pac-12 Network, we got the authorization to send our studio crew and what is defined as non-essential broadcast personnel to the men's tournament. We had already had a crew there for the women's tournament. And FS1 and Fox Sports elected for any of their parent companies to not send any studio personnel other than game broadcasters to any of these tournaments. So, you know, many people in our office, we saw the news that BTN was not going to send their personnel. And we figured, well, that's probably going to happen. And then you see all these stories coming out about, well, we're going to have to bar fans, and then we're going to have to bar fans. And then I think really one of the most chilling things that I saw is the fact that, gosh, and I'm trying to think of my timelines in terms of what day is what, because it's isn't it all just kind of blending together for you at this point? It really does. It really has been. But it was chilling for me on Thursday morning to hear all of these conference tournaments being outright canceled in lieu of the NCAA tournament at that point having basically been closed to all fans and then eventually canceled, watching the first half of that Creighton and St. John's game, which basically was the last half of college basketball played all year. And the fact that they even started that game to me was was amazing. And the fact that they canceled that game at halftime. And that was inevitable. I mean, but it has just gotten to a point in the sports world where, like, you know, this is a baseball podcast, but Mike, you know, I'll, I'll turn this question around on you for a minute, and you have called a significant amount of ACC basketball games this year, in particular Florida State, who was announced as the ACC champion without the tournament being completed, and you got to see a lot of, like, interesting photos that were posted on social media of teams claiming their championships, almost thinking like, well, well, yay, we're the de facto champion, but do we really deserve this? Uh, having been around college athletics as long as you have, I mean, how heartbroken are you for the seniors that they don't get a chance to finish out this season? And I will add on this, what are your thoughts on the idea of giving seniors in spring sports an extra year of eligibility? 
Yeah, well, I'll start with with the first part of it, and definitely heartbroken. And it's hard for me to even match the emotion of what they must be feeling just because, you know, I've never done it on that scale. And, um, you know, you can talk to the coaches and talk to the players and get to know them. Um, but still it, it, you don't get the sense fully of living what they're living as, is being part of a team and working in the summer and staying there for summer school when, you know, their classmates in college are, are going home and maybe working internships and, and living somewhere. And well, instead they're, they're still on campus and they're still taking classes and they're basically doing that almost year round. And they're also fitting in workouts and they're trying to individually train and maybe they've got a job too. And then to think about, you know, preseason practices for basketball teams getting started in the fall. And, you know, your your season spans that summer. It then spans that first semester. It obviously, in most cases, spans a big chunk of the second semester as well. I, I mean, they live it. So as best I can, I, I try to, you know, empathize with them and, and just imagine the emotion that, that must go through it um, because it, it's – it's unimaginably hard. And to your second point, um, you know, I think there's there's some reported news, even maybe as we speak, coming out about that, that that maybe um, at least for spring sports, that the NCAA is, is looking for a way to make that happen. Um, I won't pretend to, to know the, the right decision or to know all the facts and all the processes that they have to go through logistically to make that possible. But on the surface, um, yeah, I would love to see for, for that to be possible because, I mean, you think about it, it you know, you were given the chance to, to play your, your four seasons, let's say, and, well, one of them didn't happen and wasn't possible to happen if that's how things end up and, and how it looks right now, at least. So uh, I would absolutely be in favor of that, but but I'm definitely not privy to, to all the logistics and, and different um, you know components of it that, that factor into that decision. And you talked a little bit earlier about the Ivy League getting ahead of everything. Like, they canceled all spring sports before anybody canceled a conference tournament. Like, to me, that was insane, but based on everything that's happened, like every major conference has canceled conference tournaments. There will be no College World Series this year. There will be no Softball World Series this year. And, I mean, from a pro baseball standpoint, like what happens to the MLB draft? Like how do you accurately scout guys for the draft? Will the draft be delayed? Are you going to end up having a, a modified schedule in terms of the major league season? I mean, how is the minor league going to work? I mean, I could ask you all of these questions, Mike, but nobody has any answers or any legitimate idea of an answer. But I do want to propose one idea to you. And if it's a good idea, tell me it is. Explain why. And if it's not, because I, I do want to have a little discourse here. Explain to me why this is a bad idea. A couple episodes ago, I proposed the plan that Major League Baseball says we're starting June 1st and that we're going to put in a modified 90-game schedule or 95-game schedule, somewhere in the range of 90 to 100. And you basically get out in front of this and do what the NBA and the NHL have done in strike-shortened years and said, okay, we're going to start the season at this time because we couldn't get our labor negotiations in place this is going to be the season, that's that, we're crunching it into this time frame. Mike, I have not been in a lifetime where baseball hasn't been 162 games, but I feel like that's going to be the new normal this year. What are your thoughts on potentially adopting a 
compacted Major League Baseball schedule for the 2020 season. Yeah, yeah. Let me first, Greg, say by just I'll throw in all the caveats that, that again, <laughs> you know, way above my pay grade to, to understand it. Um, and, and again, the different, you know, partners that, that you have to answer to in situations like that. Um, but on the surface, just again, speaking of it in theory and in response to the way you laid it out, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a possibility. And it also has to factor in that, Again, on the, the health side of things, to me, the more important side of things, we, you know, we've got to figure out first how that's going to play out. And, and we don't really know necessarily how that's going to play out. So um, assuming, though, that, that it does get under control, let's say, and um, assuming there is a point where um, public health officials feel that it is safe to, to get started um, with a Major League Baseball season. Yeah, I think that that absolutely is, is you know, makes sense as as a theory that, that could work, you know, trying to start a game, a season when you're able to, um, obviously at that point you would have lost a, a chunk of time. So maybe it would make sense to go with a shortened season. Um, yeah, I, I think that could make a lot of sense. And, um, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, ideas being kicked around probably of, is there a way we could do it all? Or, um, is it, is it going to have to be something shortened? But again, I go back to what we said, to what I said earlier, like, you know, you think about this and, and sometimes there are can be a rush to criticize for how a decision's made or when a decision's made. I mean, everyone is, is living this out in real time. And again, there's still, um, understanding that, that has to be attained for, for the health side of this and where it's going from here. So actually in terms of talking about real time, and I ended up doing this with Ryan Sullivan, our guest yesterday, uh, per John Rothstein on Twitter, and this is about an hour old, but I just saw it. The NCAA has suspended recruiting for all sports, both on and off campus, until April 15th. And news just came out from Greg Johns, the MLB.com beat writer for the Seattle Mariners. And they are still going to practice, but they are limiting the amount of people that are gathered at one field at one time. So they're basically having stagnated practices in order to uh, reduce the risk of any potential infection. So, like, people are... 1000% going to the max in terms of preventative measures. And you know what, Mike, like looking at, and there was actually, there was a local radio show here in the Bay area that had a data analyst on a couple of days ago to sort of explain how the exponential nature of pandemics work and just looking at the curvature of the graph and seeing how the math works and how it completely spikes I have no problem with anything that's going on right now. Like, I have a grandmother who's 91 years old. I'm sure that you have relatives that are high risk if they come in contact with this virus. Like, my sister was supposed to come back to the Bay Area from grad school. She's actually in Chicago. And she's like, no, I, I don't think I'm going to come back. It's not worth because right here in San Francisco, we're the second highest affected area in the entire country outside of Seattle. So, I mean, like, it's just it's one of those scenarios to where – Erring on the side of extreme caution is 1,000% the right thing to do because even if you feel like there is you know, 0.000001% chance of it affecting you, you may not know if it's going to affect somebody else. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think um, you know, you, you've got to take steps to, to try to do what you can um, in line with, with what the, the health guidance is because, again, First and foremost, this is a, a global health crisis. This is a pandemic by definition of the term. Um, 
so yeah, you, you've got to, you've got to worry about that stuff first. And, um, you know, I, I love the decision for suspending the spring training games. Um, you know, that they got to a point where they made that decision. I mean, how can, how can you go forward with games that, that don't matter when there are things that, that really do matter here as far as, uh, potentially spreading, um, you know, coronavirus and, and seeing where it goes from there. We're here with Mike Monaco of ESPN. He has also worked some Red Sox spring training games, a longtime minor league baseball broadcaster, my good friend here on MLB Morning Coffee. Mike, you got a chance to to take the airwaves a couple of times this year down in Red Sox spring training for Nesson. And given the, you know, sort of up-in-the-air nature of what the baseball world and really what the sports world is going through, how grateful are you that you at least got to call some baseball games this year? Oh yeah, I mean, very grateful for that, Greg. I think, you know, if you you step back from this, and maybe as hard as it is to do right now with everything that we're currently facing and um, might continue to face in the future, you know, it is nice to to just think of, you know, a few weeks ago when pitchers and catchers were reporting and the excitement that was around that, and you think about, um, you know, the Astros coming to camp and how long ago that that feels like, and and certainly the Red Sox are. At least as we record this, they've got the investigation of their own as well. But but you think about those those moments of the spring when it was getting started, and I think we all appreciate it. And anyone listening to this, a, a baseball podcast, knows what it's like to to kind of get excited again, and you can feel the you know the the weather turning, and uh, you might hear the lawnmower a little bit more, and the sun and the the heat starting to rise, and it just feels like all right, you know, we're getting toward baseball season. So. Certainly grateful for that and the opportunity to, to, to be down there at spring training was um, certainly a, a great, great opportunity and was thrilled to do it. And, um, you know, hopefully at some point we'll, we'll get the, the, the health situation to a point where we can get back to that. I do want to ask you a couple of Red Sox questions because you were down there and we have obviously seen what's going on with them. But, I mean, what's, what was the environment like with Ron Renneke, who obviously was a holdover from the Alex Cora staff, but at least from the outside looking in, it looks like business as usual, even with no manager, or at least not the manager that they plan to have in place, and no Mookie Betts, which I think is one of the biggest moves in the last couple of off seasons. Certainly different, just in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I think Ron Renneke deserves a ton of credit for how he's handled everything with, with his title currently being interim manager. Um, but, but, but doing a job where he has stepped in and there's so much newness around him and still so much uncertainty with the, you know, a lot of things still up in the air and now everything's changed. But if you, you go back to kind of before coronavirus had, had made a big impact on the baseball world, um, very impressive. But again, yeah, like you said, with, with the Mookie Betts situation too, there's just so much different. And I walked into Red Sox spring training having never been down there before. So I'm not the, the best gauge of this, but just talking to coworkers and, and media members who are down there all the time, you know, they talked about just how strange it felt because there's so much that's different. There's no Dave Dombrowski. It's high in bloom now leading the organization as the chief baseball officer. Alex Cora, big presence, of course. He's gone after a couple of years as manager. Like we said, Ron Renneke is there instead. Mookie Betts, David Price, they're gone. Not to be forgotten, Dustin Pedroia, who had a setback in the last couple of months with his knee, 
he, he's not even there in spring training. And, and that's a huge presence that you always would hear, everyone would say, in the clubhouse. So it, you've got all this going on. You've got the investigation that is still out there and is still undecided at this point, at least uh, publicly MLB hasn't said what, what a decision is yet. So you've got a ton going on. I mean, you've got presences too, like Rick Porcello, not back with the Red Sox. Brock Holt not back with the Red Sox. So, again, guys who were veterans in that clubhouse, and you add all that up, and it just felt a lot different to, to those who had been down there annually um, compared to other springs. The experience, I imagine, of calling games with Jerry Remy just has to be one of the highlights of your life. Like, what is what is it like being mano a mano on the air with Jerry Remy? Yeah, I don't know if I would put it as equals mano a mano because uh, the guy's a legend. He's a Red Sox Hall of Famer. This was the start of his 33rd season calling Red Sox baseball on TV. Um, and just a, a wonderful guy who, um, you know, when I did a couple of Red Sox games at the end of the regular season last year in 2019, um, he was just so welcoming to me, as was everyone else on the crew. Um, Dennis Eckersley was up there in the booth as well. He was absolutely the same way. Um, but spending a few games down in the spring with Steve Lyons and then with Jerry um, for a few games was was just wonderful. And, and lucky, you know, I felt so lucky to just be along for the ride. And, and I said that to both of them. Um, but Jerry, yeah, I mean, um, you know, he's, he's got a way about him that Red Sox fans really know from hearing him, you know, game after game, you know, through the years, but just some, some real funny moments. Uh, one of the games we did this past week, it was Red Sox at Braves at the beautiful new ballpark of the Braves, um, for, for their spring training home in Northport, Florida. And, uh, you know, we were, we're joking that, you know, it, it felt like the ballpark was a little bit dark. Um, it was a night game, the middle of the week, and, and it just felt to Jerry, he brought this up on the air, it felt like the, the lights just weren't weren't all that bright. And, and I looked up at him, and I thought that they were maybe angled a little bit, um, it, it almost in like the wrong direction, like not spraying out at the field. Um, and turns out that some of the Braves beat writers actually had been talking about this. We didn't know it at the time, but... But that had been something that had come up in the Braves' first night game that they held at home in spring training. And Braves beat writers, again, were talking about how in this second game where the Red Sox were in town, it, it was similar. And something about a power surge at some point in the first game, but but then no change to the second, at least from their vantage point. Anyway, we didn't know that that was, was actually a, a backstory that had been going on from the first game. <laughs> we're talking about how dark it feels. And then... You know, so it, it had been really windy down there as well. And so we had been keeping the, the windows closed to the broadcast booth, like papers blowing everywhere, real, real windy all across Grapefruit League action down in Florida. So we're, we're in the middle of the broadcast. It's like the fifth inning or something. Jerry gets handed a piece of paper and he says to me, Mike, I've got some information here uh, that we might find useful. And he was handed a piece of paper that said the windows are tinted. And so <laughs> Jerry did a little investigative reporting. He got up. We opened a window on the other side of the booth, and he compared it during the game. And he was, you know, being being filmed by our center field camera doing this. And uh, 
we realized that, yeah, the windows had been tinted. So, of course, the field looked a little bit darker. Um, and Red Sox fans know that, that that's just, you know, vintage Jerry. Uh, he's got a, a wonderful sense of humor about him. And, uh, yeah, to answer your question specific to Jerry, it was it was a ton of fun with him. I still find it remarkable that even the Braves beat writers didn't realize or weren't told that the windows were tinted until game two. So I no, I, so I think that that the windows were were specific to to us that we had them closed. Um, I, but then on top of that, it was it, according to to Braves beat writers with the Athletic that that it was still an issue that you know independent of the windows, not something that they were dealing with that that it just seemed darker. Um, but we certainly felt uh, a little foolish for, for saying how dark it had been when uh, it turned out, at least from our vantage point, the windows were tinted um, and. And point being, had the windows not been open, um, there were some who were saying it, it still felt a little darker than normal at the ballpark. Mike Monaco of ESPN and a guy that has worked on Red Sox spring training broadcast this year, a longtime minor league baseball broadcaster with us here on MLB Morning Coffee. And I do want to wrap up with this, Mike. Like This major league baseball delay also affects minor leaguers. And in an offseason that has seen the threats put to 42 minor league baseball teams, this doesn't do any help in order to, to keep those teams alive past this year. And granted, there's a lot that could happen now in the upcoming CBA negotiations just based on the fact that we're not going to have a full season more than likely in Major League Baseball. So what is your take on what has gone on with Minor League Baseball, and, and how did they navigate through this uh, as Major League Baseball is trying to as well? Yeah, you know, I, I, I defer on that like I you know have on a few things, just without knowing um, everything that goes into it. But, but I think just speaking on it, you know, on a, a human and emotional level, of a place that we have both spent a lot of time through the years, and that's in minor league baseball. Um, you, you certainly feel, again, empathy and, and compassion um, to those who are maybe faced with the idea of losing the team they work for or losing a job because of that. Um, and still, plenty to be sorted out. And, and I think, you know, we could see a, a situation that, that is fluid and, and who knows what it'll eventually end up as. But, but just speaking off of that, possibility at least um you know minor league baseball has been a a great opportunity that i've been lucky to have through the years and a place where i've met so many wonderful people um and then just personally have had a chance to grow yeah i mean you you just feel it on a on a human level of, of what that would mean but um you know it's some we'll see we'll see how it turns out mike monaco everybody mike sincerely appreciate the time and uh and thank you for doing with this with us this morning Greg, my pleasure, man. It's always great to chat with you and, and fun to see how the podcast has been taken off for you. So, uh, you know, I'll be listening. Appreciate you as always, Mike Monaco. That was Mike Monaco of ESPN here on MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody. We'll catch you Monday morning, bright and early, and hopefully we'll actually have some positive news. Take care, everybody, and stay safe.